Welcome to Dropping In from Omega Institute. I'm Callie Alpert. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, our Rhinebeck, New York campus is temporarily closed, but we're still here for you. Now, instead of dropping in on campus in real time, we're dropping into our treasure trove of audio archives to offer you talks, teachings, and practices from some of Omega's most memorable workshops and conferences. Originally recorded at the Making Peace with the Earth Conference in 2018, the co-founders of the Holistic Life Foundation begin this 38-minute conversation with a 13-minute loving-kindness practice. Later, they share the nature-based lessons from their childhoods that inform their work with underserved kids. So put some time aside for yourself, get comfortable, make sure you're not behind the wheel, and drop in. Hello, everyone. Uh, is it uh, cool if we start off with a practice? No. All right. I've, I've always been waiting for them to say no. All right. Um, so if everybody could uh, just sit with your back, neck, and head aligned. If you're sitting in a seat, uh, maybe have your feet grounded and move to the edge of your seat. That'll kind of prop your spine up. And I invite you all to close your eyes. Uh, we're going to do a love and kindness practice. This is one of the practices that we do uh, with our community. Uh, we're actually from, and we kind of focus our work in the epicenter of where all of the uh, Freddie Gray uprising happened. So as you can tell, there's a lot of undiagnosed trauma in that community. And uh, this is one of the ways that we kind of ease some of that trauma or chaos that, the, that our students are facing in their lives with this practice. Uh, all the breathing that we're gonna be doing is in and out through our nose and we're gonna take a couple deep breaths together uh, to start off with. So if everybody could inhale long, slow and deep through your nose, filling your stomach up with air like it's a balloon. And exhale, push all that air out. Push it all out, squeeze your stomach in. Inhale deep again with that long, slow, deep breath. Filling your stomach up with air like it's a balloon. And exhale, push all that air out, push it all out. Inhale deep one more time with that long, slow, deep breath. Once again, filling your stomach up with air like it's a balloon. And exhale, push all that air out, push it all out. Now you all can just breathe on your own at a nice natural pace. Don't put any effort into it. Just make sure you're breathing in and out through your nose. And we're gonna start using our imaginations. With every inhale, we want to feel and see ourselves pulling in all the positive energy that the earth has to offer us inside our body with that in-breath. Really feel and see that on that inhale. And on that exhale, really feel and see yourself pushing out any negativity that's within you that you know that's not healthy for you, any stress, any anger, any jealousy, any sicknesses or ailments. Really use your imagination to see and feel it leave your body with the breath. Once again, on that inhale, really feel and see yourself pulling in the positive energy from the earth with that in-breath, whatever it looks and feels like to you, feel and see that. And on that exhale, once again, push out any of the negativity that's within you, any stress, any anger, 
any jealousy, any sicknesses or ailments. Really use your imagination to feel and see it leave your body with the breath. Once again, whatever it looks and feels like to you, feel and see that on that exhale. And you know, just like in life, when you try to meditate or do a silent reflection, distractions can arise. If you do get distracted by a thought or a sound, never beat yourself up, just acknowledge that distraction and then redirect yourself back to that breath. And once again on that inhale, pulling in that positive energy from the earth inside your body with the breath and on that exhale, pushing out that negativity from within. Any stress, anger, jealousy, sicknesses, or ailments, really see it leave your body with the breath. All right, we're going to use our imaginations again. And this time with every inhale, we want to feel and see ourselves pulling in all the healing oxygen from the trees, plants, and bodies of water inside our body with that in-breath, energizing and replenishing our internal muscles, bones, and organs. So whatever that looks and feels like to you, really feel and see that on that inhale. And on that exhale... Really feel and see yourself pushing out all the stale carbon dioxide that's in your body and see it feeding the trees and plants that gave us oxygen. Once again, on that inhale, feel and see yourself pulling in all the healing oxygen and piranha from the trees, plants, and bodies of water, energizing your internal muscles, bones, and organs. And on that exhale, Remember, we're pushing out the stale carbon dioxide, feeding the trees and plants that gave us oxygen. And you know, meditation and silent reflection is all about extending the time that you can keep your mind focused. And if you can only stay focused for three breaths and you get distracted, once again, just acknowledge your distraction, then redirect yourself back to the breath and try to get four breaths, then five breaths. It's less of a battle with yourself than it is a play, but definitely try to extend the time that you can keep your mind focused. And right now, once again, we're focused on that inhale, pulling in that healing oxygen and piranha in from the trees, plants, and bodies of water, energizing our muscles, bones, and organs. So whatever that looks and feels like to you, feel and see that on that inhale. And on that exhale, once again, we're pushing out that stale carbon dioxide, feeding the trees and plants that gave us oxygen. All right, we're going to use our imaginations again. And this time we're going to think about all those people that we love, whether it's our family or friends, no matter how far away they live, no matter if they're living or not, love knows no boundaries. So with our breath, send our loved ones love with that breath. Whatever it looks and feels like to you, feel and see that with your breath. Sending your loved ones love with your breath. Once again, no matter how far away they live, 
No matter if they're living or not, love knows no boundaries. And once again, if distractions arise, never beat yourself up. Just acknowledge the distraction, whether it's a thought or a sound. And then redirect yourself back to that breath and sending love to your loved ones with that breath. Remember, whatever it looks and feels like to you, feel and see that with your breath. All right, we're going to use our imaginations again. And this time we're going to focus on those people that stress us out or make us angry, whether it's family or friends, coworkers or clients, people in your community, politicians or policymakers, whoever it is that stresses you out or make you angry, we're going to send them love with the breath. Even though they're stressing you out and making you angry, they probably need love more than anyone else. And we all know whatever you put out there comes back to you tenfold. So don't let anyone make you put any anger or stress out there because it's going to come back tenfold. The only way to release that anger and stress is with love. So once again, with your breath, send those people that stress you out or make you angry love with your breath. Whatever it looks and feels like to you, Feel and see that sending those people that stress you out or make you angry, love with your breath. All right, we're going to use our imaginations again. And you know, we've sent love to people that we love, and we've sent love to people that stress us out or make us angry. Now it's time to send love to the most important person in your life, and that's yourself. If you start off with that foundation of self-love and taking care of yourself, it makes it that much easier to love and take care of other people going forward without burning yourself out. So really focus on sending yourself love with your breath. Whatever it looks and feels like to you, feel and see that. Filling your foundation up with self-love. And once again, to reiterate, this practice is all about extending the time that you can keep your mind focused. If you do ever lose your focus, just acknowledge what distracted you and then bring yourself back and then try to extend the time, try to get four breaths and five breaths. And once again, it's less of a battle with yourself than it is a play, but definitely try to extend the time that you can keep your mind focused. And right now we're focused on sending ourselves love with the breath. Once again, whatever it looks and feels like to you, feel and see that with your breath.
All right, we're going to use our imaginations one more time. And this time, what we're going to do is we're going to send love to Mother Earth and all the living beings on it. Whatever it looks like and feels like to you, to send love to Mother Earth and all the living beings on it with your breath. Really feel and see that. All right, if your eyes are closed, you can keep them closed and we're gonna slowly bring ourselves away from the breath and back to our bodies. So we can start off just by wiggling our toes and wiggling our fingers, rolling our ankles and wrists. You can do a neck roll both ways just to stretch your neck out a little bit. And then you can slowly, slowly, whenever you're ready, Blink your eyes open and come back to your senses. All right, so uh, as the Holistic Life Foundation, most people know the three of us as like the yoga or mindfulness guys from Baltimore. And I feel like that's the direction the universe has kind of guided us or pushed us uh, through our journey over the last 17 years, 18, 18 years. That's a long time. Um, but I feel like that's the direction we're being pushed in or guided. But uh, when we started the Holistic Life Foundation, I feel like we were more about and we were started asking the questions of why and why things were the way they are. I feel like it was more about um, taking care of the planet um, when we first started. I feel like that's where our, our initial drive was. I know um, when we were sitting around in college and just partying and hanging out, and uh, we decided that, uh, I guess we didn't decide we were going to stop. We started asking questions, and, and it led us to starting our own little private book club um, and watching a lot of documentaries, uh, we were most of them were about planet Earth, uh, biodiversity, and how it was uh, just being destroyed, and um, how just people were kind of pillaging the Earth uh, for profit. And I think we initially looked at. I think that was one of our initial inspirations for starting the Holistic Life Foundation. Um, we all, when we started, our initial um, actual mission statement was looking at the interconnectedness between the people and the planet and how you couldn't have healthy people without a healthy planet or a healthy planet without healthy people. And um, I mean, th like I said, things have changed a lot since then, but that was our initial inspiration, our initial spark to start the Holistic Life Foundation. Um, Ahmed and I, we've, we've talked a lot when we speak about... Um, We're brothers, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, I look in the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, he, I know we talk a lot about how we got into the practice of yoga and mindfulness and meditation. Um, but we, I don't think we ever talked about, like, uh, the two of us have a deep connection to the, to the natural world and Mother Earth and the planet and uh, being out in nature. But we've never actually talked about that. I don't think it's something that the two of I have talked about, but it's something I've been reflecting on a lot since last night. Um, I know um, the yoga part's easy because, I mean, it's something that was always around us. Our parents were into, or our, our dad was into Hatha growing up, so we meditated every morning before school. He practiced a lot of Hatha. Uh, he was a PE teacher, so it was like his way of staying fit, and, uh, and he loved it. Um, he got into Transcendental Meditation. Um, him and our teacher, me and Atman's godfather, studied a lot of Kundalini. They studied a lot of different types of practices. They put us in a church that was based on Kriya Yoga, and uh, so yoga was always around and meditation was always around and a part of our lives. But uh, I think um, just like being two kids from West Baltimore, it would be easy to not be connected to the natural world because our neighborhood was concrete. Other than for the most part, I'd say the, the fields up at the high school, the baseball fields and the football field at the local high school, like there was just, that was nature in our neighborhood. Uh, but I think our mom did a good job of showing us that Food and water definitely came from the earth and not from a grocery store in our faucet. Uh, our, um, we were a lot different than the kids in our neighborhood. Our parents raised us vegan. Uh, there was no salt. There was no sugar in the house. Um, and our, I remember Saturday mornings were one of my most fun times. Uh, before we watched Saturday cartoons, um, we would go to Herring. Anybody from here from Baltimore, by any chance? So Herring Run Park. Back in the day, like back in the early 80s, there was a spring in Herring Run Park um, where you can go and fill up water bottles. So our parents had all these five-gallon glass water bottles. So Saturday mornings were a fun time for us because we would go, and that was where we went to. We'd go get water. We would go hike. Um, there were salamanders and crayfish in a little stream next to us, uh, which is sad when because when I go there today, like everything's dead. Like the whole park is dead. The, um, there aren't any crayfish. There aren't, definitely aren't any salamanders. The, the spring has been kind of cemented off. But growing up, that was where water came from to us was the earth. Um, food, um, being vegetarian and being vegan back then, um, our mom did a good job of taking us places where we could go and pick food. Like I remember going to, you remember going to like strawberry fields and going picking strawberries. Uh, she was consistently at farmer's markets because there weren't a lot of, there wasn't Whole Foods, there wasn't um, Trader Joe's, there wasn't moms back then. So she had to get creative and find those fresh fruits and vegetables. So we were always at farms and farmer mar farmers markets around the city. Uh, so that was where food came from to us. They, they put us in Friends School of Baltimore. Um, and we always talk about the mindfulness aspect of, of the Quakers. But uh, I think one of the things we, we don't talk about a lot is the stewardship aspect and the stewardship of not just communities, but the planet. So I think giving back was uh, to the, and taking care of the planet was something that was important to us when the Holistic Life Foundation was started. And then uh, we did a lot of camping at Friends. So, like, every year we would do camping in the fall, in the spring, in the winter, like, just stay, being out in the woods, uh, doing a lot of hiking, and uh, just connecting ourselves to the planet. I know something that Atman and I did was, even in our neighborhood, we were looking for life in our neighborhood. I remember one of the things we used to do is there was a, the, the football field at Douglas High School. Uh, most people were, well, I mean, I guess no one really used it at night. But I think one of the things that we noticed was that there were tons of bugs up by the lights. We would sit up there on the bleachers and watch the bats all night. And that was like entertaining for us. Like our friends didn't really go up there with us, but it was like us and um, one of our, not really physically, like our real older brothers, but a guy that was like our older brother growing up. We would go up there and we'd sit on the bleachers and watch the bats all night. Um, there were hawks that hunted at the uh, pigeon coop. 
up on the corner. We'd sit out in the backyard and watch the Hawks during the day. So it's just something that was kind of really important and ingrained in us. And um, I think, yeah, it's, it's just not something that comes up a lot, but I think just being here and reflecting on it and hearing all the other speakers, it was just something that, that we, we had to, I just, I was wondering why, why two kids from West Baltimore were so connected to the earth and why we wanted, I remember just sitting around, we were watching all these documentaries. A lot of them were all on how beautiful the planet was, but then we would sit and watch, we would switch to the news and it was just like the total opposite. People were destroying the planet and nobody seemed to care. And that was a big part. I remember uh, we had these initial uh, seven pillars of the Holistic Life Foundation um, and they were all colored like the chakras. We thought we were so creative for that <laughs> back in the day. And um, most, of them were, most of them were around the environment. Um, yoga was one. I feel like um, healthy eating was another one. But the other five were all around like taking care of the environment and being more sustainable and using alternative energy and renewable resources. So it was just like, that was where our mind was then. Um, I know when we started the Holistic Life Foundation, a lot of things, uh, we noticed a lot of things. We noticed the kids weren't connected to themselves. And I think that's where the uh, practice, the, the mindfulness and yoga practice kind of came in, was getting the kids connected to themselves. Because a lot of the kids that we worked with, I say most of them, um, had no idea what, what was going on inside of them. I mean, and not just physically, but mentally and spiritually too. Um, they had no, they weren't aware of their thoughts. They weren't aware of a deeper spiritual life that they were actually living. And uh, we were trying to figure out some way to connect them. And the yoga and the mindfulness definitely did a great job of that. And then it was, uh, we realized how disconnected they were to the natural world. And um, it was kind of scary to us that we were working with, it started off with a, a small group of 15 boys who were in the fifth grade, then the numbers kept growing, but no one seemed to be connected to anything other than the few concrete blocks that were their neighborhood. Uh, we noticed, I don't know if, I mean, for the people who have been to Baltimore, lived in Baltimore, through Baltimore, you notice the city, the, the streets in the city and the gutters are strewn with trash, uh, and it's pretty disgusting. Uh, the alleys um, are pretty scary to walk down because there's so much trash and the rats are all over the place. Um, and it's because people, don't have a connection to where all that trash is going. Unless you go down to the Inner Harbor and you look in the water and you see like thousands of Utz bags floating around in the Inner Harbor and the water looks black and it smells disgusting in the summer, then you understand that. But without that, it's, 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 there's, there's no connection. So we made it a point to take our kids down to the Inner Harbor to see the trash. Um, I remember we would... Are you talking about the trash going into the... Go right ahead. Go You got it. All right, okay. So just something... I mean, and like, I remember we would... Like we would be about to do community cleanups in our neighborhood to clean up the trash, and uh, the adults would tell the kids, "Like you're wasting your time. You don't have to do this. Like the trash in the gutter, when it rains, it'll go down. The, it'll go down the drain, and it'll just it'll wash away, and you don't have to worry about cleaning." And you're like, "Well, that trash is going somewhere. It's not. It just doesn't magically disappear because of the rain." I think they thought the gutters were like black holes. Yeah, it'll right. Just disappear. So it was just like things like that. It was. Um, it just uh, kids taught like us driving to go to field trips to go to the to a park or something or some natural space and watch them throw trash out the window of the car like it was that's where trash went was just you toss it out the window or you toss it on the streets um, or us doing community cleanup and the kids getting frustrated because the kid they would see an adult walk by and toss trash on the street so it was just like all these things were going on and we knew we needed to make a bigger impact on the kids than just 
um, their practice. Because if I mean, if they're in a neighborhood where they're practicing pranayama and the, the air's dirty and the streets are dirty, that's not so you kind of defeating the purpose. You know what I mean? Like you need a, and I mean we need something to sustain ourselves too. Like um, when we can't live without Mother Earth, like it's impossible to do. So it was like we had to figure out some way to get the kids to connect with themselves, but also to connect with the planet. And we started noticing, uh, Andy's going to get into some of the things that we did, but I think one of the things that we noticed right away was that the kids that connected with themselves and then connected with the planet um, achieved on a lot higher level and dreamed on a lot higher level than the kids that didn't and their peers that weren't in our program. Like the kids that weren't in our program were falling into all the traps that, that live in an in underserved under-recognized, under-appreciated urban community could fall into. They were, um, a lot of them were out on the streets hustling to, to take care of their family and themselves. They ended up in jail. Some of them ended up dead. Um, and the kids that we were working with, like they were connected to themselves and the planet. And it was one of those things where they could see that everything was accessible to them. Um, we've had kids that have gone, we had one kid that told us he wanted to, to make films and do documentaries and take pictures. So um, he was one of those kids that had a practice and he ended up in China filming documentaries. Um, we had another kid who dropped out of school his junior year of high school, um, then got back into school, started playing lacrosse, decided he wanted to, he wanted to go to college and play lacrosse. Uh, won a national championship his senior year, was the first team All-American. Uh, we had another one that decided that he was gonna like really focus in school and he wanted to go to Emory University. That was his dream school. He ended up going. So like the kids that we were working with that were connected to themselves and and the planet, like they they saw everything's accessible. It wasn't just a connection to their neighborhood and an, and a lack of connection to themselves. And they were just like whatever was physically in front of them, that was their reality. Like everything was their reality. And whatever they were gonna whatever they wanted to access, they had access to. And it started with that connection to themselves and the connection to the planet or the natural world. And they went out from there and have done some amazing things. So we started playing little games with the kids. I remember um, one of the first games we played was um, when we would be driving. We always had to drive the kids around to the after-school program or to the YMCA. And if a kid threw a piece of trash out the window, everyone knew the rule was we would drive two more blocks. We'd stop. The kid would have to step out the car, pick up that piece of trash and another piece of trash. So that was our rule with them. And it got so fun that if a new kid came into the program and he threw something out the window, all the other kids were like, oh, you know what you got to do? You know what you got to do? So we'd stop. And then I even remember one day, you know, because we're educating, we're teaching them about, you know, what's going on here and how important it is to take care of our planet and, and to be one with it, you know, and know that, you know, let's stop creating these, these divisions, these imaginary lines that separate us. And for them to understand that we are all together in this. And I remember one time, um, one of the kids had been there for a while. He threw an apple out the window. And the one kid, new kid is like, oh, do the rule. And the kid's like, that's biodegradable. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so it, was, it was hilarious, right? Um, and we just tried to do more just to introduce them. I mean, these kids, some of these kids, I remember we would take them on like a, a ski trip to go snowboarding. And their faces when they saw cows. Unbelievable, you know, to imagine that these kids are in the fifth, sixth, seventh grade, had never seen a cow in real life, ever in their entire life. And their eyes were so big, they get crazy eyes. Like, I get crazy eyes sometimes. I don't know if y'all notice that when I talk, I get really excited. 
Um, that's how they would be. We'd be driving and we're going down the road and you could see them like, oh my God, that's a cow. Look at that. I'm like, you've never seen a cow before? It's a, it, was, it was mind blowing, right? So we just introducing them to new experiences. I remember um, the tree plantings we do up at Druid Hill Park and the fun the kids would have. I remember the, the first time we did a raised bed garden and the kids were looking at us like, this is gross. You know what I mean? But until they started digging their hands into the earth, and holding them up and the worm wiggling and the smiles on their faces. And they were so excited to do it that it, it turned from a kid saying, I don't like vegetables, to a kid pulling the radishes out and just eating them straight from the earth. And loving, looking at us like so excited. And, and you could see the connection, but that comes from education. We need to teach them. We need to guide them. You know? and, and that's what our mission is. You know? and, and, and just like Ali said, when we first started, that was our number one thing to show that interconnection between us and the planet. And I remember when I was a kid, I mean, I didn't have the same, um, the, the raising in terms of the yogic background as Ali and Atma did. I, I got that uh, as a blessing meeting them and all of us working together and, and, and really getting my own practice. But I remember as a youth, my mom hated me because I never would wear shoes. Never. I always ran around barefoot all the time, all the time. I mean, she was like, you know, you're going to get worms in your feet. You're going to get worms in your feet. She'd always say that to me. I'm like, ah, I don't care, Ma, it's fine. But I would always run around and just loved feeling the, the, the feel of the grass and the dirt. I can think of times when I was little and when it would rain, it would, one of my favorite times was running to the big tree in the yard in the rain and letting it hit me and just feeling so connected to what the earth gave you, the power that it would infuse into you. And we wanted to provide that to the kids because they only had their block, so... Yeah, I remember we were those weird weirdos when we graduated from college that, like, all of our friends went on, like, trips and, like, were buying suits to go get jobs and things like that. And we bought camping equipment and books. And then we went out and we spent time out in the woods. Like, we would set up to camp and go camp for, like, a few days and read and do whatever. And then we would come back and then we'd go back again. And we were like, like, that's what we wanted to do. Like, we wanted to be out in nature. We wanted to spend time out away from the city and just be out there and look up. Like, we would spend... I don't know. We would, I feel like from the time the sun went down until the time we went to sleep, like we were just staring up at the stars. Like, and that was what we bought. Even bought like, a, like this is before we had iPhones and you had star maps on your iPhone. Like we bought star map books and we would just sit out and just stargaze for hours and hours and hours until we were ready to go to bed. So I remember this one time, um, this is the last thing I can think of uh, what we did with the kids. It was really, I think, something that really made us know how important it is. Um, to get them to be one with the earth and one with nature. Um, so we took our first group of kids on a camping trip. And it was, it was so funny because, you know, these, these kids, uh, I mean, they're surrounded by so much external stimuli all the time. Uh, gunshots, and, um, sirens, helicopters, and all this violence and this craziness. And, and you get them in the woods. And at nighttime, that orchestra of insects... And they're in the tent like, what is that? What is, what is going on out there? You know, freaking out. It was so amazing to us, these kids who were so tough, and to see them just so overwhelmed by this experience. Um, and we had them running through the creeks, and uh, we took them to this place where all these animals out there. This is the first time any of them had ever experienced anything like this. And years later, when you see those kids, and a lot of them are still in touch with us, but the ones that weren't, whenever you would see them, the one thing they would always say was, man, that camping trip. I remember that camping trip. Thank you so much for taking me out there and for getting that experience. And you can see the power of it, right? 
that if we can just introduce them to these things, you know, and, and show them that, hey, this, this earth is yours. This earth is you. And it's up to you to be responsible for taking care of it. And if we can keep getting that message out there, just imagine the difference we truly can make. And we, and, and, you know, I know I started off with talking about. And I got to say one thing about that camping trip that you left out. Oh, go All ahead. right, so Andy knew that they were really, really afraid of the woods, and he had to go somewhere that night and came back, and we had this gorilla mask that was just sitting around the house. So Andy parks at the top of the hill, walks all, and it's probably like three, it's probably like half a mile, like from the top of the hill down to where we were camping. He goes down and but pitch. but but we built the story and said that there was a zoo nearby and a gorilla escaped from the zoo. So. Andy walks in complete darkness all the way down this hill, down to where we are. And I'm like blind walking too, like, oh, I'm going to, I know I'm going to hurt myself, but this is worth it. I know it's worth it. So like, Gorilla Mask is on, it's us in one tent, the kids in another tent, and he unzips the tent and it's like, oh, and all the kids go running. It was awesome. <laughs> one of them threw a juice box at my face. It hit me. A, a, a memory forever for them. I guess one of the main tools that we have when we are um, trying to heal uh, these uh, communities that are dealing with such high trauma is creating teachers. Uh, one thing we noticed is that like, uh, we were making great strides with our kids uh, with the practice of you know, uh, the bending and stretching uh, to kind of get that restless energy out of their body, uh, the breathing to kind of still their mind, and then we'd get into the meditation to establish that inner peace inside of them. But it kind of... Uh, went out the window as soon as they went home because they would go home to environments where, you know, people would not be mindful and wouldn't be present and would be yelling at them and not talking to them uh, to where, you know, it would just, it just seemed like during the course of the week, the kids would be getting better. And then when they would go home, we'd have to start from scratch on Monday. And, you know, so we knew that we tried to, uh, we wanted to try to create wraparound services for their parents as well. So we did everything we could. We uh, tried to create yoga nights. Uh, we tried to give, uh, get elaborate meals to kind of entice the parents to come in. Uh, we would have gift cards. And to no avail, no parents would ever show up just because life is kind of busy, you know. And, and like if you're just trying to survive and take care of your family, it's hard to create time for yourself. Um, so uh, our teacher... Uh, when he started teaching us, he told us, he's like, man, I'm not creating no devotees. I'm creating teachers. And that's what our policy was. So our whole model is a reciprocal teaching model to where we teach our students not only the practice, but the benefits of it, the practicality of it, and, you know, how to teach others the practice. And uh, we really didn't know that this, that this was going on, uh, that they were going home and taking the practices uh, back to their parents. Um, but until one day... Uh, if you've ever seen your, we have a, a TED talk where there's a young lady, a dynamic young lady uh, who is, I, I mean, just dynamic. Uh, her mom, she, she used to fight all the time. Like uh, her brother uh, was a boxer and taught her how to throw a mean right jab. So anybody, and she came from like the same projects that Freddie Gray was from. So, you know, you know, she was not really dressing in the nicest of clothes. So people used to make fun of her and she used to just knock people out. But then uh, boys, she, girls, bigger, smaller, she was knocking everybody out. But she eventually gravi gravitated to the practice and kind of uh, got her emotions under control. And I, I remember one of the times that we saw this in action, uh, you know, we're walking around the corner 
uh, into the uh, after school program and she's jacking somebody up against the wall and then she sees us, looks at the girl, looks at us, looks at the girl and is like, you better be glad I'm doing my breathing. Drops a girl, <laughs> sits down and does some breathing. But this same little girl, uh, she was one of our best teachers as well. And uh, her mom, she, she, was <laughs> she was dealing with a lot of stress at home. Uh, just single mom, uh, you know, didn't really have a constant job. Um, and she used to come home, and y'all know the trickle-down system that, like, you know, if she's stressed out, she's going to take it out on her kids. And our, uh, like I said, we teach our uh, students the practicality of the practice and when to use it. So instead of the mom coming in the house, uh, the, our student kind of read uh, her mom's face and see the stress written on her face, and, you know, she let us know that uh, the, the mother came in and told us, like, man, I did, had no idea that, you know, this is what y'all were teaching our kids. I didn't know this what yoga was. And we're like, what you talking about? And she said, well, I came into the house and it must, the stress must have been written on my face. And my daughter said, hey, Ma, you need to sit down with me. I'm going to do some breathing with you. And that happened time and time again. So we realized that that's really how you really truly affect the family. Because like Andy said, drugs killed uh, urban families and welfare system killed the urban families. So it's like that in a broken system, the only way to heal it, I guess, that we've seen is by the babes, like teaching them the practice and helping them infuse their family with the practice, not only their families, but their friends. And we kind of see the healing process going on with creating teachers. And once again, going back to educating people. Thanks for dropping in with us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please check out our many online learning opportunities featuring more of your favorite teachers and thought leaders. Visit the Learn Online section on eomega.org for more information. Dropping in is made possible in part by the support of Omega members. Help Omega remain a source of hope and healing and receive special content, invitations, and discounts designed to support Omega's engaged community of members. Visit eomega.org slash membership today.